Welcome to The Approach Shot, the golf show that's more laughs than links, more stories than strokes, more guffaws than golfers. Here are the hosts of The Approach Shot, John Ashton and Neil Michaels. And it is time for us, we being The Approach Shot. I'm John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels. Thank you so much for talking like this. It makes me feel very comfortable. I've just taken my PBS. Is that it? I thought maybe in your cup there was something other than coffee. <laughs> or decaf, <Valium>, anyway. <laughs> you know, that's that's the first New Year's resolution out the window. The no drinking thing? Goodbye. <laughs> Sounds Next. good until about the 2nd of January. <laughs> Oh, well, Woo. try as you might, man. What can I say? That's right. You know what? You and I are both of the age where those things are so stupid anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the whole point of it, yes, we're going to try to be healthier. Yes, we're going to eat better and stuff like that. But the booze mm-hmm. part, not no. so much. Oh, I live just outside of Louisville, Kentucky. Within a 12 to 15 mile radius of my house, there are nine distilleries. Mm-hmm. The rest of the stuff around my house right now are horse farms. Hmm. So depending on what direction the wind blows, whether I stay inside and breathe or not. Okay. Yeah. Even the smell of bourbon cooking is is not attractive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I live 20 I'm miles sorry. south of Temecula, California, and mm-hmm. Temecula is up to about 50 wineries. Okay. It's sort of Southern California's wine country. and. Mm-hmm. Same. Everybody wants you to try their wine, and who am I to turn them down? Yes, exactly. That's just silly. And, so and you've I, taken that course, yeah. so you know what you're looking for or, right. or tasting for or however right. you put it. Right. Believe it or not, I actually am learning stuff from that, from, from our master class. So I have a question for you since we're talking about New Year's resolutions and New yes, Year's. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. It is the third week of January. At what point is it legit to stop telling people Happy New Year? Uh, January 2nd. Seriously? Unless it's somebody you haven't seen and you know well. Right. So yeah. so somebody like that, somebody that you haven't seen since the end of the year, mm-hmm. what's the cutoff? You know me, man. I'm bah humbug all the way. I don't really care. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I, w- I will tell you my theory, and then you can tell me I'm full of crap. My theory is okay. <laughs> since the Hallmark people have been nice enough to give us a holiday every three weeks or so now. Mm-hmm. My rule is happy new year until Martin Luther King's birthday. And then okay. it's done. It doesn't matter okay. if I've seen you or not seen you after the 15th. Nope. Sorry. Yeah. After the 15th, you, you have either a- adapted to the new year or you're just, you're hopeless. But then the next rule is you then have to say happy Martin Luther King's birthday until Valentine's Day. So <laughs> I don't know if I'm capable of more than one holiday. <laughs> they do come fast and furious for the first 90 days of the year, don't they? Yeah, they sure do. And then it's happy Valentine's Day. And then we're into to, uh, Easter. And then we're into spring break. And then we're into. Uh, yeah. I am old enough to know that you skipped over an important holiday. Uh-oh. One of the things that I refuse to celebrate is President's Day. Why is that? It's lazy. February 12th yeah. is Lincoln's birthday. Right. February 22nd is Washington's birthday. Right. Combining them cheats Lincoln. Okay. Who should have his birthday memorialized. 
It I would used agree. to be considered a holiday. We got lazy and decided we didn't want to remember both of them. You're right. Cause I, when we grew up, it was, it was not president's day. It was George Washington's birthday and Lincoln. Sorry, you, you weren't the first president. And right. it was a but big you might retail have been the holiday, best, but that's okay. Yeah. And then it was a big retail holiday. And then they realized it was too close to Valentine's day. And the department stores were competing with Hallmark and for flowers and cards. And so I think they went, okay, so President's Day is going to be earlier and Valentine's Day is going to be over here. Is it the fact that that they're both retail holidays or at least Valentine's Day is a retail holiday that they've kind of traditionally made President's Day the day to buy a mattress? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so that when we're all exhausted from all of this, we can just go lay down someplace. No. President's Day mattress sale. Okay. <laughs> Let's let's do that, and then let's have this conversation again in October when it gets to be Columbus Day. Columbus, yeah, another <laughs> mattress day. Parrot Millie, it's another big mattress <laughs> holiday. <laughs> well, we are not two people to lay down on the job, my friend. Your decaf is truly kicking in. <laughs> we are going to do a show here, damn it. <laughs> hey, kids, let's do a show. Let's do can, a show. Can we, at this lake juncture, drum up a good guest? I think I got one in my pocket. Yeah. We have not only a good guest, we have an all-star guest. Five-time all-star guest. Yeah. He's got a what? Popular. Isn't getting picked for an all-star team basically a popularity contest with the fans? No. We'll we'll talk about that while you <laughs> hang out. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> with Adam Jones of the Baltimore Orioles. We are the approach shot, Uncle Wade. Welcome back. You know, as business people, what we know is we are always driven for the search for better, better products, better profits, better employees. But when it comes to hiring, you know, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, and match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. So ditch the busy work and just head right to Indeed. That's what we should have done when we were looking to replace, temporarily, intrepid producer Mark. We knew he'd be gone for a year. We were inundated with phone calls, letters, resumes. We didn't have the time. We didn't have the patience. So listen, you need Indeed if you're looking to hire. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your job more visibility at Indeed.com slash approach. Just go to Indeed.com slash approach right now and support our show by saying you heard about it indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash approach. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, thanks for hanging and coming back. We are still the approach shot. I'm still John Ashton. And I'm still Neil Michaels, despite John wanting me to be someone else every single week. <laughs> <laughs> I keep praying, but you know, what can I say? Our guest this week is somebody I'm so excited about because I lived in Baltimore. I grew up an Orioles fan, sort of, and watched you play an awful lot. And Adam Jones, it's a thrill to have you here. I appreciate it. Dude. <laughs> I'm looking at your stats, and we do this every time just so people go, Adam Jones, Adam Jones, I know that name, which hopefully, you know, they know better than just a little bit. You played for 14 years, drafted by Seattle, played all those years in Bollamer, and then the one year in Arizona, five-time All-Star, a four-time Gold Glover, and a Silver Slugger Award winner. 
I don't know about you, John, but I watch all those shows where they're digging for gold and stuff. They just mm-hmm. got to go to Adam's house. They'll find some gold. <laughs> they'll find some silver. They'll find all this stuff. <laughs> but you grew up in where I am now. You grew up in San Diego and a big fan of Tony Gwynn, which I think if you live in San Diego, that's a, that's a <clears> must. I mean, growing up in the 90s, obviously, the Padres took off in the 96 season. And uh, the Padres got their own network. So, I mean, everybody was a Tony Gwynn fan before then. Mm. I think that uh, nationally, people got to become more of a Tony Gwynn fan. Cal Ripken got more publicity by being more on TV, more being in the playoffs more. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to get more attention. But no, I just think that once the TV network Padres got, he got more attention to get into the World Series. And Tony was my guy. I was great and fortunate to know him post-career. I mean, Post his career, and then it obviously throughout throughout my career up to his uh, dying day, and he helped me a lot with the mental side of the game, the preparation, understanding that this is some fun. Always have some fun playing it, but take it serious and uh, put put forth your best effort. So to be able to play the game that long was a blessing. Obviously, he played twenty years, I played fourteen years, nineteen professionally in total. And uh, every day was a blessing. Now I'm 38 and I'm like, dang, it's really over with. And uh, <laughs> it's a new chapter, but it's it was a, it was a good start to life, I, I guess. It's like, you know, I sold a, a company, I sold a business, and now I'm looking for something else to sell and something else to do, I should say. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned Cal and, and Tony Gwynn in the same breath, because baseball fans probably remember back in the 90s and the 2000s, the, the strikes and the, the this and the that, and, and baseball was lagging. People were kind of like, oh, you know, these players, they're all this and they're all that. And Cal and Tony saved the game. I mean, the way they played, the way they brought themselves to it, the attitudes they had, the two of them, a lot of people said, save the game. I mean, Cal Ripken, obviously that streak, 95, coming back. And look, I'm a little too young to understand the fullness of what the 94 strike meant. Obviously, I've went back and asked a lot of the guys questions, a lot of the coaches questions. But to be able to be there and understand the magnitude of it, I went through my own CBAs, you know, plan being on being on the uh, with the union. Um, but no, the 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 streak of '95. I mean, I think that was just iconic globally, especially coming off of the strike, and then followed by you know the home run era where the big boys were just launching mm-hmm. them at 60, 70 uh, home runs, and I think though the, that right there saved baseball. I mean, obviously, Ken Griffey Jr., Barry Bonds going back and forth. Um, Sosa, McGuire, chicks dig the long ball. I think all those, those promos, like, you know, Maddox and Glavin over there, like, Hey man, what's going on with that? But I just think all those things did save the game at that time. And those were two of the front runners. I yeah. mean, you know, it's like, it's like looking at this, when I look at sports now, it's like, you know, me, I was a five-time all-star in 14 years. These guys were like, Tony Williams was a 20 time, all 19 time all-star in 21 right. years. Like mm-hmm. that's efficient. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's great to make one all-star game. It's great to win one gold glove. And again, when I won my first one and when I went to my first all-star game, it's like win another one. You know, you got to win another one. You want to be perennial. That word perennial mm-hmm. is something that in sports is something when you, if you attach that to somebody, that's a valuable word. You can say this guy's a perennial something and generally it's good. So, um, you know, that's why I just valued Tony Gwynn's approach. It's Cal Ripken's approach. Obviously, you got to be around him so much in Baltimore. And just the, those legacies are just different legacies. Again, now this era of we make big bucks and we can, you know, buy this and buy that. It's a different era. You don't have to grind it out for eight years and, and like they used to to get a contract. Now it's, hey, show up, post, make some nice posts on social media. They might give you a contract in some aspects. So <laughs> it's just it, we're in a different era. 
Um, but those guys, to me, were the, the leading examples of how to show up to your job every single day, literally, Cal Ripken. Put your best foot forward. And, you know, I was fortunate to to have uh, Tony's teachings and then go to go to Baltimore. And I couldn't ask for a day off. Oh, my back is sore. Can I get a day off? Yeah, that guy up there, yeah. I went to the perfect place. Yeah, never asked for one. So I went to, personally, I honestly went to the perfect place because – I want to play. I'm a ball player. I don't care. You know, again, we wake up and not feel whatever we want. But once we get to that park, hey, the lights turn on. It is what it is. We just we flip that switch. And I was very passionate about playing every single day and showing uh, showing Baltimore and the fans of Baltimore that, you know, you got a guy who you can count on. All right. You mentioned Cal's name enough. And you did mention guys in this generation buying stuff. So I'm going to put those two thoughts together <laughs> with with the thing that probably a lot of Oriole fans don't know. You bought Cal Ripken's house. Yeah. Come on, man. When you walk <laughs> in there, do you think Cal Ripken was here? Or do you, what is it when you get in there? Is it the aura or was it just, it was a great house on a lot of land? It was all the above. Obviously it's Cal Ripken's house. So when uh, there was a, uh, I went there previously, he invited me over to lunch previously. So I've seen it through, you know, while he was living there and he just was immaculate. Obviously I'm a city boy. So uh, me going out and seeing all this land and just, you know, the long driveway, I'm just like, this is just gorgeous with the basketball court. And it just, you know, it was a wow factor. The house is a wow factor. And then it became, obviously it became a reality when we purchased it. It became a wow factor when them damn bills came. I know that. So, <laughs> every, every month it was a, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> a little difference. Okay. And then you had to turn around and sell it a year later. Well, I didn't have to. Um, I just was like, personally, I was like, okay, well, I'm not playing here anymore. Um, we're probably going to be on the West Coast. Just me thinking living wise. My mom's, my family's on the West Coast. Right. My wife's family, you know, they can travel with us. So I was thinking that, you know, I'm probably going to be on the West Coast. I don't need any more Baltimore real estate. And then obviously now my kids are nine and seven making noise all because we're in Barcelona now. We got we're in a condo. So making all kind of noise when I wish I can just say, go to the gym and <laughs> scream as loud as you possibly can. So it's like in hindsight, I wish I didn't sell it um, because it is a great home and it's a great home to raise kids. Uh, it's Especially, you know, in a city that, again, weather can be stricken. And, you know, all your friends can come over and like, look, we got a gym, come over. We did a lot of those parties and a lot of those things when the weather was bad because, again, parents need some sort of liberty. And the gym is way over there. The parents can stay over here. Kids can <laughs> scream as loud as they want. There's so padding perfect. around the basketball court. Hey, as long as nobody's bleeding, it's all good. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great rule. Words to live by. <laughs> Well, let's get into your golf game here in a bit, but don't just hang out with us. Yeah, because we're coming right back, so don't anybody move. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. I saw you. You flinched. Okay? Yeah, I, I but did. That's, yep. But that's okay. We forgive you this one time. We are back we are back here with the approach shot. I'm John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels. I have this many things that I want to talk to Adam Jones about. <laughs> and we don't have we don't have that many kind of time. minutes left to talk. Yeah, right. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I, there's one thing I couldn't resist, and that is that reportedly you have four tattoos, including mm -hmm. one of your mom and your grandma on your left shoulder, 
And yeah. so when you'd hit a home run, you tap your left shoulder and that was a tribute to them. Is that, is that mm. true? Or is that just gossip? That's true. Um, it happened. I've, I, maybe I did it on my first home home runs. I think I started in the minor leagues or something like that. I'm not sure exactly when I started it, but uh, obviously those are two of the most important women in my life. So mm-hmm. it's uh, easy to pay homage to them and, you know, let them know that, Hey, I'm trotting. Let's, you know, take a shot. <laughs> you know. I'm trying to mm-hmm. try take a shot. I tell my mom, Hey, if uh, my grandma never got to see me play, I've seen the major leagues pass in uh, 2000, but my mom seen my entire career. So every time I tell her, if I hit a home run, you got to take a shot. And so, you know, yeah. she was some, you know, depending on the time of her location, that shot <laughs> could have been early. Or it could have been late. So it could have affected her in different ways. 282 taps. Yeah. Love it. Took a couple of them. Let's talk about that golf game. Are you playing in Barcelona? I am. I broke 70. I broke 80 for the first time and shot a Woo! 79 at this course, La Roca, out here. Um, I shot from the two tees, and it was 6,100 yards. It's impressive, but it ain't. I think it just it could be from different distances. But at the same time, I've, I've played with many people, and they just say, why are you playing from the tips? Why are you playing from so far back there? And I think the thing is, is like, as you get better, you go back. I was playing in Baltimore this summer, and it had a sign. It's like, what's your handicap? This is the tee you need to play from. Stop thinking mm-hmm. just because you're big and strong, you can play from the backs. This game ain't about big and strong. This game is about placement. And, uh, exactly. you know, learning the game, learning the game, I think, has been great. Spain is different because it's an iron country. You know, if you know, obviously, you know, the Europeans, they play, especially Spanish, they're terrific iron players, and mm-hmm. with the courses here, they're not long, so you can drive off. But a lot of them, you you know, you can take a three wood a hybrid off, or you can take sixes off of some of these some of these tees. So um, it's just learning a different a different aspect, a different yeah. aspect of the game, and not the American style of let's just grip it and rip it. Grip and rip. I have a, a golf instructor who tells me that the tees you play should be dictated by how easy it is for you to get on the green with your second shot. Mm. He said you you should be a seven iron or a six iron max away from the green after your drive. So depending okay. on how far you drive, that's the tee you should pick, no matter how old you are, because that way you're a better shot at making par, which makes the game more fun. Double bogeys are not fun. No, um, they aren't. <laughs> they aren't. They, they're, they're, they're not fun at all. And it's just, again, it's like you said, that makes a terrific point. Um, a friend of mine, we belong in Barcelona, Baltimore Country Club. And, you know, he's like, I'm not playing from that far. It just makes no sense. Let me get mm-hmm. better. Let me get better. And that makes yeah. sense. You know, when we played, uh, all of our second shots had the chance to get on the green mm-hmm. with not, we like, we weren't using five irons. We weren't using four irons to get it was everything seven eight and, and below yeah. so yeah. um it made it made the game fun you know it's yes. okay okay we're putting for par or we're <laughs> trying to get on there for for a birdie or you know mm-hmm. instead of oh i'm on there and you know you're about to two putt so get that double yeah. that's that's not fun golf no it's not do you play in the states and do you play the same kind of game when you play back here um i do play in the states uh, i try to put, take my clubs everywhere i go and i think that's the hardest part of trying to get better I don't have, I can't play at one course consistently to just over and over, repeat the same shot, repeat the same shot. It's like, I got so many different venues and I think that's a cool thing uh, to be able to play so many different courses, but it's, you know, you go to Arizona and I was, I was bombing the ball in Arizona. I get out to Maryland. Uh-uh, that humidity just, that, that <laughs> 310 drive is 260. And I'm like, Hey, what, what, I just did the same thing. So 
I understand the elements. It's like playing the game of baseball. It's understanding the elements. You know, every field was different. Every outfield was different. Just like every golf course is different. Try to be in places you don't want to be. I've started to learn how to read the cards, read the, you know, the cards that they give you with the greens and the slopes. I've, I've learned mm-hmm. how to read those and read the map a little bit instead of just trying to be a macho player, actually trying yeah. to understand the course. And again, That's I'm still novice at it, but it's so fun and so frustrating to learn this craft but it's great because i have tons of baseball friends that are playing golf and every time we're together we always get around in somewhere and uh i just it's great that we're all a big group of us who conquered one uh very hard sport is trying to conquer another one did you being a big deal in the baltimore washington area did you ever get to play congressional i have not but i've been invited once and uh maybe later in life if we're in that area or maybe yeah. the summer I'll get to I'll get to play it, but that's definitely a course I want to play. And yeah. you know, it's crazy because the power of social media. I was out in Baltimore, it was like three days by myself, and I just tweeted out like anybody want to golf. Five people responded, and I ended up going to play with uh two different days with with random people that you meet off social media. Yeah. It was country club golf, so it kind of vetted itself. There's this par three the around my, the corner from my house, <laughs> and I only bring the one club. <laughs> Maybe so, not. That. Uh, it's just it's the power of uh, the power of social media, and just you know, obviously, golf is a game that's bring, brought a lot of people together. And it is. you know, some it, of the biggest some of the biggest deals and best friendships are uh, on the golf course. Yep. Amen. For sure. You know, we were talking to Mark Collins of the Giants a couple of weeks back, and he said, if you can get out and play with friends and bring a bottle of bourbon that you'd like and bring some cigars, you could just take me now. That's that's <laughs> as good as it gets right there. Oh, I, I don't know that we could disagree with that. No. I mean, if, depending on your choice of, of, of booze, you can get a good bottle of tequila, a good bottle of scotch. Mm-hmm. Um, out here, it's different, though. They don't do any of that. What they do out here is... They, yeah, I mean, if you have a drink on the course, it's like, hmm, it's party time, huh? They (laughs) they don't do it. Afterwards, they have their uh, apres. Again, they value it. They value it differently. They treat golf as like an absolute luxury. It is a luxury. uh, But, uh, you know, in America, we treat it as a luxury. But, you know, we have fun. We turn it up. We're having a good time. And there's no, there's no problem. Again, no problem having a couple beers. Um, but, you know, I've went from going to the charity events and then just obviously ripping shots every every uh, other hole because it's a charity event to now, like, really trying to get trying to play really good golf. And then maybe on the back nine, maybe at 10 or 12 or something, maybe grab uh, uh, a tequila and Sprite or something like that just to just to ease into the back. Uh, the last final holes. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely got away from from the drinking on the course because I kind of like you know, really want to play well, you know what I mean? I'm not <laughs> saying that one or two is going to mess me up or anything like that, but you know, me playing early, being early riser golf, I love to play golf at seven, eight in the morning. Like, let's get this going. Tequila at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a it's, tad it's, early. It's a little tough. It, it tough, certainly so. is. That's why there isn't a country song called tequila at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Take, take the edge off so that you remember not to try to count your score when you're on number 17 and you're about to break 80. Because that's a kiss of death right there. That's true. That's true. We're going to take a quick break. We've got more. We've got, speaking of drinking, we've got a six pack coming up. We <laughs> Hang out. We'll be right back. We are the approach shot. And we are back just as promised. 
truth in advertising here. I'm John Ashton. We're I'm Neil coach. Michaels. And we didn't tell Adam going into this what a six pack is. So this is all going to be a fun surprise for you. This is the segment where we fire off six questions at you just like that. And we want the first answer that comes to mind. No hemming and hawing. We'll give you the, we'll give you the buzzer, man. I mean, we love right. you, but we'll buzz you. All right, let's see how fast my mind right, works. You ready for this? It's ready I'm going to be. It's ready as it's going to be. <laughs> awesome. Question one. When you robbed Manny Machado of a home run in the World Baseball Classic, which was one of the greatest catches I have ever seen, a lot of people call it one of the greatest catches in history. What do you consider the greatest catch other than that in baseball history? Gary Matthews Jr.'s catch in Texas over his shoulder. The one where he climbed the wall. He climbed the wall backwards over his shoulder. I mean, that's he caught it blindly. Never seen. I got like seven, by the way. Yep. I got like seven real quick too. So I'm good with that one. Baseball. (laughs) You could do that one, and you can do the Willie Mays basket catch. That's okay. I knew that was on your mind. All right. Question two, and you kind of already answered this. Golfers love the expression "drive for show, putt for dough." In a scramble format, are you showy or are you doughy? Oh, I'm definitely showing. I'm showy. Yeah. If I make a putt, if I make a putt, hey, best of luck. Yeah, generally play with somebody who puts it down there and they're just like, hey, let it eat. Bob. So yeah. If I make a putt, best hey, thank God. You probably yeah, yeah. Sounds like sounds like we should play together. I'm that safe guy, hits the first one, you know, 180 to 210 in the middle, and it's like, okay, Adam, you're up. Let's go. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) All right. Question three. You played with some of the greatest players of all time, Jim Tomey, Jake Arrieta, Nelson Cruz, others like that. However, I want to know who was the biggest prankster you ever played with. CD. I think, no, I had a home run one time and he comes and gives you the wet willy in the ear. So I'm <laughs> high-fiving people's like, come on, dude. Like, uh. you know and mean? who's that? Just a big, big uh, Chris Davis. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, big, he's a big, big fun kid, man. Big fun guy to be around. Yeah, I'll bet you you thought so as he's sticking his finger in your ear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little hard to do an interview when that's going on. <laughs> Tough. Question four. As a five-tool player, a lot of fans and maybe even other players are wowed by your athletic gifts. Which golfer that you played with wowed you with his athletic prowess? Uh, Max Homa. Really? Yeah, I got to play down with him in Mexico. And I mean, he just, this again, the, the game of golfer, the, the style of golfers, they're not just the, the 60s, 70s, 80s style, I should say. There's, the athleticism has changed. Uh, the strength and the regiment has changed. And the, so you like, you see these golfers now, they're big time athletes. And uh, seeing him hit the ball live is different. Obviously, being 6'5, he has that leverage. But I mean, it's just the pros are, pros are different. Again, and I was a pro, and when I see baseball, it's different. When, when I watched them, I just, just in awe. He was on the show with us and watching him play, especially at his size is, is remarkable. You know, anytime yeah. you get with somebody who's, who's that good and you think, look at what I just did. I just hit one, you know, two fifty down the middle. It's awesome. <laughs> and then they outdrive you by 50 yards and place it exactly where they want. And it's like, oh, yeah. that's a, that's a three wood for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. I, I like the guys that say, well, I hit that. I hit that one, uh, one groove too high. <laughs> 
Con- yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm just lucky I <laughs> hit it at all. <laughs> this is why we drink on the course. <laughs> Question five. While you were playing, you were really well known for being one of the great bubblegum blowers. Now that you're retired, do you still blow? No. Uh, I think it was just nerves. Maybe. I don't know. Just something to do. It was, just happened. It was my nervous twitch. Um, but every once in a while, uh, if I feel that my breath stinks, I'll probably grab some gum. But uh, for the most part, <laughs> no, nah, I don't chew. As, I don't chew as much gum as I, as I did as a player. That and, sounds know, like I go back and watch some videos. I'm chomping at the gum too, like just me and the, the gum in my teeth are going to war. <laughs> maybe considering the way you were just talking about your putting, maybe we should uh, take that up. You know, when you get on the green. I might. Yeah, I know. I might just have somebody like be uh, what's the girl from uh, Willy Wonka who saves the gum. Just put a little, little gum <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, and this is my putting gum. <laughs> as soon as you walk on the green, you pop it. There you go. If your game gets better, we want credit for that. 100%. <laughs> there you go. And question six, we asked this of everybody who comes on the show. Since we are the approach shot, Adam Jones, in your approach to life, what one rule do you live by? Enjoy it. Um, you know, I didn't grow up with the means that I have to this day. Uh, and, you know, obviously living in Barcelona, that's definitely something that's outside of the box. Uh, my wife's a travel agent and we do things just outside of the box and we just try and live life. A lot of my friends are living the life they want to live. And I just think we're doing something different outside of the box. A lot of people envy it. A lot of people are afraid of it. Uh, but it's like, you know what? You get one time to do it. Uh, I don't think that the suburbs of America are going anywhere. No, uh, but I think, you know, our kids time of being young and, uh, you know, there's going to be an importance of them being, you know, stable in the school. And I, I, I know it's coming maybe, maybe two years from now, they're nine and seven. So I know that that age is coming 13, 14, maybe where the stability needs to be in one place. Yeah. But as they're young right now, we taking them uh, on our adventures and uh, we'll, we will, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get the, I'll get the minivan and be the soccer dad in a couple of years. But right now the parents are running the ship and we're just trying to see the world at one time, one day at a time. Do the kids know right how lucky they are being able to, uh, to see the world the way they're being exposed to it? I think they understand it. They understand what they're saying. I just think it's always been a part of their life to see gotcha. something different. I mean, um, we've been, this is our fifth year internationally. And, you know, being a nine to seven year old, it's like most yeah. of their lives has just been seeing confusing signs. It's what so, they remember. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I just think that, you know, now it's enhancing the, it's getting more uh, digging deep into their brains of them. Um, you know, being here in Spain, like, you know, we go to the stores, we go to restaurants. I don't order for them anymore. They, and they order in Spanish. So like nice. just little things like that. It's a, you know, we go back to America, obviously they're going to lose some because they're going to be more comfortable with hearing things. But one big thing here is that, you know, obviously they're learning Spanish and you can learn Spanish anywhere. But when they're outside walking around, that's all that is is being spoken. Yeah. It's not English being spoken. You went to class and now English being spoken all around you. They, they just hear a plethora of Spanish on a daily basis. And, you know, it's starting to be embedded in their brains. And uh, just hopefully, you know, later in their lives when they are having kids and they're doing this or even when they're in college or high school or something, and there's a chance to be, you know, go to an exchange things and things like that. I just hope that they're like, well, hey, you know, I've been here. I've been here. I think this is another place. I think it will be it will be a lot easier for them and less scarier because I know that a lot of people are scared and, you know, timid to go somewhere yeah. for six months or do a semester somewhere. So 
you know, uh, hopefully it just opens their brains and opens their lives. And, you know, when they have kids and get our age, they're just like, hey, I want to take my kids and do these kind of wild things. Plus, when they get to high school, they can take Spanish. It'll be an easy A. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. You go. I got I got <laughs> one more thing I wanted to ask you about before we let you go, because we know you, you're on a, on a schedule here. Of course. And you describe the last swing you took as a professional baseball player when you were in Japan, because that sure. sounded like a Hollywood script. 96, right down the pipe, 2-0. I ain't missed that one. I mean, I can. I made a living off hitting that pitch. Um, you know, I was talking to the guy, Scott McGuff, because we were, you know, good friends. And we were uh, having some drinks, like, a couple nights before the series. And I'm like, hey, man, if the situation comes and, like, you got to throw me at least one heater, okay? Like, come on, you throw – you're pumping almost 100. You got to throw one heater. And we're just drinking good bourbon and just talking about it, going back and forth. And he's like, yeah, I'll give you one. And then I end up facing him. Uh, one of the first games of the series, and obviously, big situation. I was like, you know, obviously, situation calls. Do what you got to do. Um, and then I ended up getting a hit off of him in that situation. Then another situation, I walked. Uh, but this one, it was like, I was like, nobody's on. It's like, he threw me a slider, a split slider, a slider split. And I'm like, he's got to throw a heater. He's not going to throw it. And he threw me a heater. And obviously, who doesn't want to play until they can't? That was the moment where I played till I literally couldn't. I think that that moment, I, I, my last at bat is not me. Uh, trying to beat out a, a six three, hit enough of those. My, <laughs> my last moment is you know driving a ball over the fence. Hey, my my kids were right there; they got to see my last swing. My wife was right there. Everybody was you know right by our dugout. It was just a, an incredible moment that we got to share as a family, and uh, it was just it was great. And it was a great moment to go out on. And you know I'm blessed to be able to play as long as I did. You trust me. That game, it, it crushes your body. And, the, you know, you see guys like Verlander and Scherzer playing into their 40s. Like, hey, tip to your cap. You know, I gave my body to it. They're giving their bodies to it. Everybody's built differently. I'm just mm-hmm. blessed that I was able to do it as long as I could. Uh, you've got some stuff to do with with Major League Baseball. Please tell Audie we said hi and the kids. Go Cowboys. Um, you know, <laughs> got to throw Cowboys, that Cowboys, Ravens, Super Bowl? Well, I mean, I know you're the Ravens kind of guy, but, you know, the family is is tied into the Cowboys and – you know, well, my father-in-law played for him, but he's, I mean, if the Ravens and Cowboys played, I think he'd be happy. There's two games he doesn't lose a year. That's Cowboys, Red, uh, Commanders now. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's two games where he's not a loser. The other games, you know, it depends on it. depends on it. But I think Cowboys and uh, 40, Cowboys and uh, Ravens sounds like a pretty good Super Bowl match. That would be a fun mm-hmm. Super Bowl. Yes, I'm in Louisville, man. I'm a Lamar Jackson fan all the way. So, well, as, as somebody who grew up in Baltimore but always been a Cowboys fan, that would be a great Super Bowl. We'll take yes, it. Indeed. Yes, it would be. Adam Jones, God, it's been a pleasure having you here and, and Thank uh, you. talking about all this stuff. We could talk to you for another couple of hours, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Thank you, man. Thanks for spending right, some time with us here on the approach side, man. You've been listening to The Approach Shot with the Weekend Golf Guys. If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at ApproachShot.net.